Welcome back to First Time Films. I am sunburned today. Grace, you were telling me something about uh, sun cream before we came on air, about how, you know, it, you know, if you put it on your face, it stops you aging. But what happened with you? No, I was just saying, um, everyone online seems saying how you're meant to put it on your face mm-hmm. all the, like, every day to stop, wrink- uh, to stop wrinkles. So I've been doing that, but I've not done any on my body. So I'm like, my body is all red and probably going to be like a leathery handbag when I'm older. <laughs> you just have to like fully cover up. Yeah. Like snowsuits the rest of your life. Yeah. And everyone's like, oh my God, you're so young. Like uh-huh. I need for alcohol and stuff like yeah. that. Um, so Marnie, how are you getting on? How are you finding the heat? I'm all good. Do you know, I'm absolutely sunburnt as well. And I agree with Grace. Like reading people online talking about how you have to put it on your face all the time is such a stress. And I think living in Scotland, you you just don't even think about the sun. Um, but yeah, I, it's great and I'm loving it. But then I'm instantly just reminded of climate change, which is not like the happiest way to start the podcast, I do understand. <laughs> yeah. But I'm, I'm stood, I work in a deli, which is just roasting. Our ice cream is, you know, melting everywhere. I'm staring at it like, oh my God, the ice caps. I'm boiling. <laughs> This is awful. And then I go outside and I have like a pub, a, a, a drink in like a beer garden or a pub. And I'm like, oh, this is lovely. Marnie <laughs> is using vanilla ice cream as an analogy for climate yeah. change and ice caps <laughs> yeah, melting. Yeah. And I love it. And we're yeah. also joined by a very, a very special guest today. Um, he is joining us from across the pond. He's the man who exposed me at movie trivia as Mr. Nick Harley. Nick, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I can totally relate to your guys' uh, sunburn conversation because uh, I am very fair skinned. Uh, mm. I'm actually I'm like a mutt. I'm I'm a mix of Scottish, <laughs> Irish, English, Welsh. So wow. very fair skinned, and I I can't uh, I can't leave the house without without putting sunscreen on her or I'll be in serious trouble. So <laughs> when the next the independence campaign rolls around, they'll be bringing you over. It's like a face <laughs> of the better together campaign. Like like a fine man, all four nations turned this man out. You know what I mean? Like why would you yeah. believe that? You, you, yeah, you, my my dad saying. got a my dad got one of those twenty three and me um tests. <laughs> and uh that's it it was just like, yep, you're from the UK. We we got a little <laughs> bit of all of them. <laughs> everywhere in the United Kingdom. Well, we like to. It's a, it's a small island at the end of the day, you know what I mean? So it's it's not difficult. It'd probably be like being from every part of Ohio, to be fair. So it's not... It's, it's like probably not that impressive. We just like to make ourselves look bigger on the map. Uh, but anyway, we're looking at There Will Be Blood Today, 2007 film, directed by Paul Thomas Anderson. Uh, Grace, fitting with the name of the show, I believe this was your first time watching this. Yeah, I feel like this has been my first time film ever ages yeah probably ever most of them i have seen before and i just act surprised Um, (laughs) you're a great actress we appreciate it on the show (laughs) uh, no but this is the first time i think in ages where it's been i've genuinely only watched it for the first time for this podcast and i was saying earlier it was a good excuse to watch it because i've always wanted to watch it meant to watch it but the kind of thought of it i was always like oh yeah. Long, so I was glad I used to watch it. <laughs> yeah, like Marnie, see when you see two and a half hours, right, and you're you're turning on Netflix and you see, okay, I'll put something. Oh, there will be blood. Two and a half hours. Does that does that put you off at all? Or are you the person who likes a big a big meaty watch? I think with me, if I'm interested, then I'm there. Like it could be a five hour long film, but if I think the plot is interesting or if it 
if I like the look of it, if the sort of aesthetic of it seems really interesting, then I'll I'll definitely attempt it. I won't sort of be scared by it. But um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, the Kissing Booth is on Netflix, and that film's like four <laughs> hours long, and like Kissing Booth <laughs> hours long. Like I feel like you just gotta be if you're into it, you're into it. You know, you just gotta be there. I am convinced that Paul Thomas Anderson would love to be mentioned in the same conversation <laughs> as the kissing booth. Uh, I think that's his that's his lifelong ambition achieved. But Nick, do you remember back to the first time that you you ever watched this film? What was your immediate reaction to it? Yeah, um, I saw this um, when it around when it came out in in probably not when it was in theaters, but probably during Oscar season in mm. two thousand seven. I was a big fan of. No Country for Old Men, and I think that the conversation for the Oscars that year was, was like, which of these two films is going to win Best Picture? Um, and so I, I had to check it out, and I remember it not... Um, I don't know. I, I don't know if I, I watched it in the right mind space, or if I, I was under the impression that the film was going to be something else, but it didn't really hit me um, on that first viewing. And then, uh, in college, I actually took a, a course, uh, about Paul Thomas Anderson's films. So revisited it then and watching it in like a small theater, um, you know, in the dark and, and, you know, being really plugged into it, it, it's, it's an epic, it's an epic movie. And it, it really, it really stuck with me. Now I, I think of it as one of his best films. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely like a, a really rich movie. I think there are a ton of things to talk about um, well, in, just, in the film itself. Just with Paul Thomas Anderson himself, this is like a big holistic question, but would you rank <laughs> this as his best film or are there a couple from him that you'd probably put personally above it? Um, I'm, you know, I, I, when, when you ask people to rank films from certain directors, it's like you usually always have everyone always usually has around like the same top three. I think Paul Thomas Anderson's really interesting because I, when, when I do see those rankings happening on like Twitter or whatever, um, I always see different films. Everybody kind of has different opinions of, of what his best film is and, and what his worst is. I'm really partial to the master I think is um, probably my favorite of his movies. I also really love punch drunk love and um yeah, and uh, Boogie Nights is also, you know, an incredible movie. I probably would have this third. If I had to rank them, I would I, I would have it second or third. I think I have the master first, and then I don't really know where to place this in Punch Drunk Love, and then I would have Boogie Nights after that. Nice. Um, I think but, one of those, yeah, like, I really like him as a director. I admit I've not seen all of his stuff, but I think what I like most about him is watching how his films have progressed like thinking Boogie Nights his first film and then I think Phantom Thread was his most recent mm. kind of seeing the types of films that he's made in his career I think it's really interesting it is and Marnie I remember me and you had somewhat of an argument about Phantom Thread because I'm not I'm not the biggest fan of that movie just personally yeah. but I know that you're a, you're a fan of Paul Thomas Anderson I'm a huge Nick you you stole my heart there you're <laughs> I'm gonna have to speak to your girlfriend because um, <laughs> you said that uh, the ma you were really partial to the master. I absolutely love that film. And when I was thinking about, you know, okay, what what notes am I gonna take or what am I gonna think about when I was rewatching this film for the podcast? It it reminded me how um, how similar I think those these two films are. 
Um, I would, which I'll, which I'll get onto in the, in the meat mm-hmm. of the pod. But um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm the same. I mean, I've, I've really not watched like all of his, um, all of his stuff. I know that people absolutely love Magnolia. I love, yeah, the classic. Um, but yeah, I, I would definitely say the master. Um, fan, I mean, Phantom Dread. We've first time films does not love Phantom Dread. And <laughs> I'm kind of waving the flag for Phantom Dread. Um, but yeah, I would. I would definitely put this one up there. I, I don't think of it initially as like, oh, I love that film. Like I, I always kind of forget it or it doesn't really pop into my head. I think because it's such a mammoth watch. It doesn't mm. keep into my head as like, oh, that's a comfort watch. That's something I would just stick on. I would definitely sort of sit down and, and um, pay a lot of attention to it. So, but once you do, you're like, oh my God. This yeah. yeah, yeah, 100%. I, I, I find that interesting that you said that, like, that you, when you think about his movies, you don't think about this first. Cause I, I think I feel the same way. I feel like this movie is kind of separate from the rest of his films, even though, like you said, I think that there are um, many threads throughout all of his movies um, that are, that I think there are, and we uh, will get into this later on, but I think, I think his films all share certain themes and that mm. you can find in each of them. Um, and yeah, I, I think that the, maybe the reason that I don't think of this as one of his movies is just because the, the scale of it is just kind of, it feels like this massive, um, movie compared to even, and even though like, you know, Boogie Nights is a long film with, with a ton of stuff going on and, and, uh, Inherent Vice is kind of this, this sprawling sort of, uh, rambling type movie, but um there's just a there's just a scope to this one that feels a little bit different from yeah. the rest of his movies funny because um when you were saying that when i was thinking of paul thomas anderson weirdly the first film i always think of is inherent vice and i don't know if it's now just when you were speaking at all his films there because it kind of has a little bit of what always all of his other films have like period piece like on sort of cameos from people from other films uh, but i don't think it's his best but I'd, for me, weirdly, that is when I think of Paul Thomas Anderson. Yeah, it's weird with Inherent Vice because I, mm-hmm. I believe I could be wrong in this, but mm-hmm. is it still the only like cinematic adaptation of a Thomas Pynchon novel? Or I... Yeah, th- I think so. Yeah, I think yeah. that was the big thing about it. it was I would love to see because uh, we did. I don't know if you read this morning in the course at Glasgow Uni, but the crying a lot forty nine. Do you remember that one? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I would. I kind of love to see someone take a crack at that. Um, so when I, when I, ever, ever someone brings up in him advice, that's all I think. But mm-hmm. Nick, you were saying there about the, the themes that sort of cross over. And one that I, I actually watched Phantom Fred before I watched this film. And to me, this film does what Phantom Fred tries to do a lot better in some instances with the character Daniel Plainview. It's this sort of like selfish, capitalist driven attitude that leads to him ultimately leading a quite lonely existence in the end of this movie is kind of like his his narrative wrapped up in a very tight nutshell but with Daniel Plainview what do you think he sort of represents in this story what do you think he brings to the table here I think you're like spot on there because one of the things that I I think that a thread that is in all of his movies um is is capitalism is Mm -hmm. is something that I think that you it's in certain films it's more explicit and at the forefront and then other films you have to dig a little bit deeper but it's interesting that course that i took 
was was taught by like an extreme Marxist. Yeah. So all he wa- all he wanted to do was talk about um, the fact that all of these films sort of talk about the dangers of capitalism. Um, and I think that it's probably most um, explicit in in this film and in, in there will be blood. And I think that, uh, yeah, Daniel Plainview is is sort of uh, he's he's driven. He's 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 sort of like the American um the american form of capitalism like mm-hmm. personified and uh he and he sort of shows those values um of of hard working and um relentless and um driven uh and and even you know family oriented even though we can talk about that a little bit later about how he sort of uses family as a prop but mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that, yeah, Daniel Plainview's story, I think, I think you nailed it. It's, it's this person that, um, is, is really driven for success. And then, but at the end of the day, you know, after he achieves pretty much everything that he wants, you know, to be this oil man, he's sort of left with nothing. Yeah. I was, I was saying to David, um, just before we started this, I, before I went into watching this, I actually didn't really know much about it other than. It was about oil and the famous like milkshake scene. So I was saying I thought it was going to be much more of like an ensemble, even more of an epic than it was. But I didn't realize until the end. Actually, it's quite a simple story just about like the American dream and like capitalist. Like I didn't realize it was that simple almost. Yeah, and um, the thing is, it doesn't try and Grace. It doesn't really try and hide no, what it's saying at exactly, all. Yeah. You know, it's basically a parable at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, because there's that the one the scene that stuck with me is that where they hit the it's like the gas explosion happens mm-hmm. and his his son well his son quote unquote HW is just being deafened and he's sitting there and Kieran Hines' character says to him like uh, is HW okay and he says no but he just sits there and keeps watching this fire and all this smoke mm-hmm. bellowing out as the structure sort of crashes down and I think. I don't know if does that not tell you everything you need to know about his character yeah. in that nutshell that he'll say he's a family man, but when push comes to shove, it's the oil that's the most important thing to him. And he literally admits it at the end as well with um I didn't realise he'd be quite so on the nose about it with when he there's that confrontation scene between him and his adult son and he literally does just say, I used you so that I could look like a family man. Yeah. And 100%. people and I was like Oh, he actually admitted it. <laughs> <laughs> like, but Marnie, was there ever a point in the, essentially near the start of the movie, where you're sort of fooled as to the relationship between Daniel and HW? Like, or is there more nuance here than we're given it? Like, he didn't totally use HW just for the business endeavours. Was there a fondness there that we're overlooking that maybe adds a, a shade of grey to the story? I think it's hard because it's hard to look back on and try and remember what my initial reaction was because after you've watched the film you just think oh my god like all of that was so falsified and this is clearly a man who just through whatever reason whether it's by the sort of external this external dream of capitalism or it's like some sort of psychological drive is just so focused on money that he just uses everyone around him and even that sort of parental dynamic is not safe from that sort of exploitation Mm-hmm. Um, which is which is really quite upsetting. 
I don't know. I think I think going into the film and, and learning that he is this, and maybe that's just because I'm just quite a cynical person or quite, you know, down, down with the man. Just a bit, a bit wrong. <laughs> I think when you, when you find out that he's um, wanting to get into oil, I just immediately have this distrust and I think bringing, bringing children into it. And there's a lot of that sort of, yeah, um, family dynamic, as, as you guys were saying, sort of using the, the family as a prop of, um, yeah, how that, that, that relationship isn't, isn't even safe. So by bringing it in and sort of using that, that child as like a, a prop or a ploy, and that's what, you know, Daniel does. It's not what um, Paul Thomas Anderson does. It's not, it's not like a plot prop. It's, mm-hmm. some, it's, it's this little sort of, sort of innocent, very innocent person um, that is exploited which I think you know just totally fits in with the whole theme of capitalism. Um, I would I would say no. I I I don't think I trusted them, and I really. I spe- and then when you when he's deaf, and I mean that is just yeah, it's quite difficult to watch to be honest. And I think it's quite a known trope to sort of use children in that way because they do represent this this innocence and um, that is sort of taken from them a lot of the time and, and sort of exploited. So. And I think you see that with um, you. You have that whole dynamic with Eli being a a preacher and sort of you know totally dedicating his life to God. And there's a whole sort of like father son relationship there, and who he then completely abandons. So it's it's interesting to see it played out in separate ways. I think, but yeah, it, yeah it's, it's I'm quite cynical. I don't have a I didn't I didn't trust um I don't trust Daniel. I didn't trust uh, Eli either when I. Well, we're gonna we're gonna get to Eli because I think there's a lot to there's a lot to drill out, down into there. <laughs> pardon the pun, you know. Yeah, I've been waiting to use that. I've been waiting to use it. This whole show, uh, but Nick, we we've talked about Daniel the character. Let's talk about Daniel the actor. He puts in a, a heavyweight of a performance here. Obviously, um, er, er, earns the Oscar for himself, best actor, um, for this one. Do you think that this is? And again, it's hard to sort of like talk about the career trajectory of Daniel Day-Lewis, but do you think this was the, the peak that he reached in his career, especially round about this time in the 2000s? Do, like, do you think this is some of his best work? Yeah, I, I do. I, I think that when when we, you know, Daniel Day-Lewis claims to be retired from acting, yeah, um, which is a damn shame. Um, but I think when we look back on, on his career, I think that this is going to be like you said, sort of the peak moment where um, he is at the height of his powers and probably at the height of his like name recognition um, mm-hmm. as an actor, um, just and then cementing his status with with that uh, that Oscar win. Um, it, it's just a towering performance. It's it's really it's really um, it's really powerful. I've read that um, that his speech in the film was sort of meant to to mirror the director John Huston and that mm-hmm. he was that he was sort of uh he had been asked about it and at first he sort of denied the influence and then and then kind of copped to it in a little bit of a way um but yeah i i just you know we've brought up the milkshake scene here a yeah. couple of times and yeah. and the fact that that scene is can it, it's sort of like a black comedy moment but it's also um, pretty terrifying <laughs> if if you're in that character's shoes and like just the the it's it's 
certainly a, a bit over the top, but uh, a, and a lesser actor, I think, would that moment would would have played just straight for laughs. But a hundred percent, I think, I, yeah. But I think the, I think in that moment, you can you can see it as this sort of funny scene, but you can also see sort of the 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 fear uh and the and just the like the monster that this guy has become yeah uh, it, it's it's pretty phenomenal what i like about him in this movie he seems to do like uh like modern day pacino and like old time pacino all <laughs> in one movie there's the subtlety there and there was like i love the scene where he's talking to um henry when he shows up about how he basically doesn't like people and he's got that competitiveness in him um, which is something that he sort of goes back to later on when he says that HW has nothing of him in him. Like, he really sort of tries to seek out that familiar old bond and there's something very narcissistic about it. And I love those conversations that he has where he is sort of, like, more restrained and you're like, this is really good. But then it just seems like any time, like, him and Paul Dano got on set together, he just decided <laughs> he was going to turn, like, like you say, just, like, turn it up to a, a spinal tap 11 uh, for some reason. But, uh, Grace, t- speaking of Paul Dano, Obviously, play, plays two characters in this movie. Mm-hmm. Plays uh, Paul at the start, and then Eli, uh, the preacher man, for the majority of it. Um, what What were your thoughts on on Eli? Our Eli in this movie. I, I, he's a very a very interesting character to say the least. Well, I didn't. Um, I just was like reading up about it earlier, and I didn't realize he was originally just meant to play Paul, mm-hmm. and someone else was cast as Eli, and then there was some I don't know, dro- someone dropped out. And then they were like, do you want to just do both? We'll just make them twins. <laughs> um, so I thought that was quite an interesting backstory because Eli is such a heavy role mm-hmm. in comparison to Paul. Paul's just in that one scene. Um, but I really like Paul Dano as an actor. I can kind of see why someone might not like him. But to me, he's kind of like the dramatic, um, what's his name, Michael Cera. I think oh, right. Like, I think of okay. it in, in, I don't know, to me he's just, yeah, the more straight-laced um, version of him. But as a character, with Eli, yeah, I quite liked how you felt like they were always at different ends of the scale. So I loved the scene, you know, when he's got... Um, Daniel has to sort of say, profess his beliefs mm-hmm. um, in order to get the... Uh, the yes, yeah, to get the land, isn't it? So they can yeah. oil. And I thought it's just so interesting watching... This, like I think he was twenty three at the time, Paul Dano, against wow. Daniel Day Lewis. Yeah, and there is like such a good sort of balance of power and struggle, and I think in the final scene especially, you can see his like youth kind of coming out, just in the sort of terror of him. So I think he's a really good actor, and I think yeah. in those, see, yeah, because I, I mean, otherwise, he does a lot of kind of dramatic roles but it's kind of otherwise been well, like Little Miss Sunshine and Prisoners yeah yeah, prisoners well, yeah of from. course yeah yeah. Um, yeah so I think this is quite a heavy role but yeah I thought it was really oh. good 100%. Marnie, I think the role does so much as well because he shows up and he's, he's basically it's the it's representation, it's, it's business America versus you know, the religious America embodied within these two characters and they're a constant sort of struggle back and forth you know, trying to get the sort of upper hand in each other. What did you think about their dynamic throughout this movie? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was brilliant. I agree. I think Paul Dano is just I think he's fantastic 
um, I would be fucking petrified to act alongside yeah. Diane Lewis. <laughs> I think, um, yeah, I mean, they, they represent these sort of the two main sides to America. And Nick, you can disagree with me on that, but the sort of religious um, fever, fever and uh, the sort of capitalistic drive. But they're more similar than they like to admit. And I think... I think Danny almost knows that and he sort of sees he sort of sees this whole this this piousness as a as a facade and I think you know in the in the end it, it seems like it was that way as well and I think he Paul plays that so brilliantly because he has such a I mean when I when I first ever, when I the first time I watched it which was a, a good 2 years ago now um I remember thinking like oh he's actually not that great because I and I remembered watching from Little Miss Sunshine which is also one of my favorite films and um if it's not been on the pods Dave <laughs> um, Doesn't like my yeah that's next up and I'll host I promise <laughs> and, uh, so I remember watching them thinking like oh god like oh he's a bit he's a bit much like he's a little bit too obvious ah that's a bit awkward because obviously he's right he's next to Daniel Day-Lewis who's just a you know he's a, a master class in acting but then you realize as the film goes on that's totally intentional and I think it takes well to me it, it seems so intentional of this just almost uncanny heightened persona that he plays and um, yeah I just I just thought it was absolutely brilliant I think it takes it takes a brilliant actor to be able to act as a bad actor yeah and I an act in bad faith I think as well actually that's why when I was saying earlier that the film was a lot simpler than I thought it was going to be plot wise was because because I didn't really know anything about it I I think again I said this earlier but I, I thought it was going to be more of an ensemble film I thought there was going to be more big known actors that with bigger parts and stuff but see when you're looking back on it it really is just Daniel Day-Lewis and Paul Dino like and like you said to be up against the man that's considered the greatest actor of his generation blah blah he yeah I know like he plays the part I don't even know the word for it, but like you're saying, where it's only once it's over that you realise how good a job he's done. Yeah, a hundred percent. And Nick, when we talk about the character of uh, Eli Sunday, like, do you think there is something to that? Do you think this is PTU sort of making a critique of organised religion? Do you think that's ultimately what he's saying with this this plot thread and this character, um, or do, or do you think there's there's something more to him? No, I I think you're. I think you're absolutely right. Like I, I, I see Eli Sunday as sort of this this mirror image of Daniel Plainview. Um, you have Daniel who uh, treats his business like a religion, and then you have Eli Sunday who treats his religion like a business, and 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 that's sort of America, right? Um, I love that. I, I think I was going to say you that. know <laughs> again that T-shirt. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, and uh yeah there's so i i read uh like you know in i i started i should have prepared for this conversation a little bit better but in i was scrambling like in the 10 minutes before i hopped on with you guys <laughs> and i read uh i read a like original an original review from the new york times that described the movie as a, a biblical parable about america's failure to square religion and greed um wow. and uh yeah and i, I think that that's really seen throughout the throughout the film um i think there are a lot of um instances in the movie about duality um uh, something that 
stood out to me um, that I remembered when when watching the movie is that Daniel Plainview, we see his name. Um, he writes his name twice in the movie, once right at the beginning uh, when he's in the mine and he and he signs his name. Uh, yeah. And then we don't see him write his name until later in the film, about two hours in where he's in his big grand mansion and he's sort of writing a check um, to somebody. And, and we, and the camera lingers as he writes his name out once again. Um, and I, I guess I don't really like it, it. It's sort of this, this straight line um, where this guy was always going to get from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. Um, but um yeah, back to back to Eli Sunday. I, I I find that character to be really interesting. Like like you guys said, there's, you know, he's full of shit and he's not he's not great at hiding it. Especially um, he may he may have all the other people fooled, but but Daniel knows exactly you know who he is. He sees the grift, you know, because he's he's doing the same thing to the people um, in this town and in this area, and then. Obviously, as they both get more uh, money and influence, they both sort of blow out their personalities and personas even even larger. But yeah, I, I see the the pair of them as being sort of these these you know twin shadows. Yeah, two sides of the same coin. I do have to say, I did laugh um, the bit when he was trying to ex- expel the demon from yeah. the woman in the church. I was like, man, this is like a, a bad audition for the Conjuring. You know, you're not going to get the part of Ed Warren doing that, my friend. You know, uh, like Patrick Wilson has got that down. He has got that down, man, better than you ever could uh, with an exorcism. But there was a couple other people I wanted to bring up here because um, I didn't realise that it's and anyone else knows this feel free to chime in any radiohead fans here in the in the oh, crowd today yeah yeah, yeah. It's, it's big the music. yeah big yeah, johnny, right, yeah. johnny greenwood the the lead guitarist for radiohead composed the score for this um i didn't make that connection he's done the score for other paul thomas anderson movies and he's also worked with with our own scotland's own lynn ramsey and got a little bit when Ramsey yeah. and uh, we need to talk about Kevin and you were never really here. Um any any comments on the score? Were we a fan? Um or just take the time to talk about Radiohead if you will. It's up to you guys, you know. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> what all I was gonna say is that like I, I really enjoyed the score. I really like Johnny Greenwood's um film work. I haven't really been into Radiohead as much like Sense in Rainbows. Um and it's not that any of their stuff is bad it's it's just that they've kind of lost me a bit as it gets a little bit more um electronic and and um you know purposely obtuse i think like for me radiohead like the the only thing that radiohead could do at this point that would like really shock me and surprise me was would to be like to make a record like a, a guitar record you know something that sounds like the bends or something um like that would be the that would be the left turn that they could take that would really surprise me because at this point um like i feel like all the other they've kind of done all the other things you know that that there is to do but yeah johnny greenwood's film work particularly in this movie um i think is is just really great and it really it really sets a mood for for the for the whole film yeah 100 percent grace any comments um, I just, yeah, because I knew it was the kind of main 
song that I think uh, opens the film was a pre-existent, because I swear I recognised it. I swear, do they use it in cinemas or something? Might be wrong. I don't know, that's not a fact. But I swear (laughs) I recognised it. And then I do remember reading that even though it got, like the whole soundtrack got really highly acclaimed, he wasn't able to enter it for any Oscars because it wasn't original for the film. Ah. I just remember being like, that would be a bit annoying, wouldn't it? <laughs> like, yeah, that would be, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I highly agree with that. Um, Marnie, anything for yourself on Radiohead or Mr. Greenwood or anything else in your life right now? Yeah. I am just going to, I'm just going to pop in the chat that um, Paul Thomas Anderson, I think it was a couple years ago, um, released a short film with Tom York and uh, it was like a a short about 10 minutes long maybe 12 minutes long but it was it was a oh. whole sort of physical dance piece um, it was called Anima or I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly but um, yeah it was and it was it was actually brilliant it was so nice to see them just do something really different it was almost like physical theatre um, but it was shot gorgeously and uh, yeah the the music that they use is great and uh, I always think it's interesting seeing people that have worked together um, yeah. will continue to work together because they get on well or they, they just you know have a great creative partnership try completely new things and, and just go do you know what fuck it I have the money I have the time I have the the name to kind of do what I want for a for a bit and uh, yeah everyone should go and check it out I think it I think it's on YouTube um, yeah. it's definitely you know it's if you're expecting there will be blood, you know, it's, it's very different, but it's, it's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, and he also he directed three uh, Radiohead music videos in 2016 also. And I didn't realise this, Paul Thomas Anderson at this point has directed a lot of music videos for the band Haim. So, yeah. yeah, good for him. Yeah, he's, some of those are really cool too, if you haven't, if you haven't checked them out, they're, they're fun. Yeah, go and My check those out. Paul Thomas Anderson, it's not like a hidden secret, but is that he's, been with like Maya Rudolph for like twenty years. I love that. Yeah, I love the thought of like. Apparently, places. yeah. Apparently, people say like that's the couple that you want to get invited over to their house for dinner. Like you want to you want to hang out with with Maya and Paul Thomas Anderson. Apparently, he's like a total bro. Like he's you know he <laughs> makes these like he makes these like very uh like you know high art films and and but when you hear him talk, he's just kind of like a a shaggy like surfer <laughs> dude he's just like a total dude and I, i've heard him talk in interviews about how he he likes superhero movies he loves adam sandler comedies like which makes sense because he you know he cast oh, sandler and okay. punch drunk love but yeah he's totally not a snob at all like he just what seems the? like a totally totally normal guy my mind has been fucking blown by the Maya Rudolph riddle. Wait, I must have been the only person here who didn't know that. Like, no, mind I was brought into this show last minute. So I was, I was watching the movie and any of the external reading, I've just sort of winged for the class. No, because um, I just remember the, when I watched Inherent Vice, when it, I watched kind of when it came out, and I remember being like, oh, that's funny, that's the girl from Bridesmaids. Like, what's she doing here? And then I looked it off and I was like, oh my God, they've been a couple for like 20 years. I bet you loves Wilson Phillips as well. Uh, <laughs> as much as we all do. Um, but, um, I'm so sorry to interrupt. Everyone must know that before he was married to Maya Rudolph, he was with uh, Fiona Apple for quite a while. 
And oh. I always yeah. try to listen to her songs and because uh, she writes a lot of very personal songs and I'm always like, what one is about Paul Thomas Anderson? <laughs> is it the one where she calls him a dick? Like, you know, that thing was all, especially on her, her latest album, um, I would need to do more research into that, but I'm always thinking, who is she talking about? Mm. She's talking about these sort of highfalutin Hollywood types. <laughs> it's a question. Yeah, she <laughs> she gets asked about him still in uh, interviews, and and she refers to him as a parent teacher uh, <laughs> parent teacher association. Uh, <laughs> hey, that's a good like like as a like the PTA like yeah. Good very good, very good. Well, there's another man I want to talk about, and his name is Robert Elswit, a cinematographer with Paul Thomas Anderson. I think they collaborated together six times. Interestingly, not on Phantom Thread, but Nick, there's no denying that this movie is gorgeously shot. Was there any shots in uh, particularly uh, that stood with you uh, from this movie? Um, you know, this is where it would have been really helpful for me uh, to, to do to a rewatch. Yeah. <laughs> to do a ton of rewatch. Um, but I did like the fact that you that you brought up uh, the scene where he sort of the the well explodes and and he looks out into it. The the one thing that that strikes me is uh, like when when Daniel and HW are just sort of out in the wide expansive undeveloped california land like all of the all of those uh shots the the wide angle shots of them just sort of out in the middle of nowhere is just very striking that's why it's really um i i, I bring it up again it's really interesting that both this film and no country for old men were competing against yeah. each other at the same year at the oscars because they both sort of have this this desert like expansiveness where there's just sort of uh really barren landscapes and i don't know it it sticks out in my mind i'm trying to look at what he possibly chose to do um instead of phantom fred and it looks like it might have been skyscraper with Dwayne the rock johnson interestingly enough uh, he also he also uh, shot the king of staten island uh, with Jud- judd apatow was the last movie he's got in this this resume uh, i do have to nick you i believe that you watched michael clayton for the first time a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, I did, yeah. yeah. I, this, I just, we can discuss this in a lot of time. Not for me, that movie, I don't think. Not for me. I just was like, nope, no, not not, not involved in this. But maybe that's an episode for an hour time. We'll do Michael Clayton and we'll do Little Miss Sunshine and we'll do something else. We'll, we'll figure it all out. But uh, there, uh, moving on from there, there will be blood discussion. Everyone will give you a chance to sort of round out any thoughts that you have left and just give the movie a overall thumbs up, thumbs down for yourself. So, Marnie, we'll start with you. Am I unmuted? Yes, you are. Yeah. Thank you. Just you're for an old woman. You're you <laughs> ancient. How can you not use technology? You. You're like the most Gen Z person we have uh, on oh, this panel as well. If I am the youngest person in this pod, that is a travesty because I actually am actually a 59-year-old woman. Like, I have no... <laughs> Um, no, just for the listeners of the pod, I was just asking if I was unmuted because I have been asked to mute myself on this call. This is a distress signal. I am Send help. Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess my audio is crap. Um, God, so I'm looking at my notes and I'm like, oh man, I could have written a dissertation about this film. So I think um, s- summarising thoughts, uh, brilliant. Um, I'm looking at my notes, I'm like, psychological torture, brainwashing, 
um, hom homoerotic hints, um, question mark. I just think there's a, it's a brilliant film about the way people, particularly men, um, almost uh, use each other, sort of rely on each other to justify themselves and their own drives, their own uh, sort of ideas on what they think uh, they need in life, what, what matters, and um, the way they pit themselves against each other to sort of uh, prove each other. Um, prove themselves in that way I know that's quite that's maybe like not what we've really been talking about but to me that is what yeah. uh, aside from the sort of capitalism uh, analysis that's what this film uh, represents to me for now I, I don't I don't think Marnie it's ever inappropriate to bring up the fact that men are indeed the problem um so yeah, I think yeah, right I on taking <laughs> hot take as always just ending the pod that you know men are men Men are trash, I guess. Yeah, hundred percent. Okay, Grace, what what are your final thoughts on there will be buds? Um, I, yeah, I kind of agree with Marnie in the sense that, like she's saying, oh, I feel like I could write a dissertation on this because, again, I've said it a million times in this podcast already. But when I did finish it, I was like, oh, that was more straightforward than I thought it was going to be. But I didn't stop thinking about it all week and wanting to read more about it and. Equally, I wouldn't be surprised if in like five years time I was to read something that comes at it from a totally different angle and I'm like, oh my God, yeah. So I think it's totally crammed without feeling without feeling like there's too much going on, but there's so much that you can read into it. And yeah, I love that about a film. 100%. And Nick, finishing off with yourself. Yeah, obviously I'm going to give this one a, a, a thumbs up. Uh, <laughs> one of the other... Uh, themes that i wanted to bring up that come up a lot in paul thomas anderson's movies and and we sort of touched on it um and and this sort of drives this sort of ties paul thomas anderson to the fast and the furious films because uh family is, oh. is a really big is a, it's a really big uh really big thing in in his film and i i think we didn't really spend a lot of time um talking about HW's relationship with the uh, with Eli Sunday's little oh, sister, yeah. Um, but it's it's sort of like, and, and there's like a weird protectiveness that that Daniel sort of feels toward HW. Even like, I, I know we debated whether or not he actually had like cared for the boy, and I, I think that he did. And I think that he was, you know, in his hurt. Um, for HW kind of leaving him, he, he lashed out and sort of said um, some, some things that were half true. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I think that family is something that comes up in a lot of his films and, and you can sort of see how, you know, the importance of family here, you know, when Daniel finds him and, and we didn't really talk about uh, Kevin J. O'Connor as famously from, from the mummy uh, as his like, uh, yes. His fake brother. I was going to um, say that. I was like, how did we not get onto that topic at all? Listen, we but, do a variety of films on this podcast. Like, <laughs> stuff like Rock of Ages, where we're talking about anything but the movie after five <laughs> minutes in. Uh, and then we go on to a movie like this, where we're like, we really should have scheduled we about a four-hour show point. for this. <laughs> no, but, but, but that really just comes back to like what you guys said, that this is sort of a simple story on its surface but there are there's lots of layers and there there are a lot of themes and that there are certain things that you can really drill into and mm -hmm. and that's really that's really the case with all of his movies um so yeah just i'm a huge huge paul thomas anderson film 
or, or fan, excuse me. And I would highly encourage everyone to check out um, his movies if you haven't done so. Yeah, it betters it for me. Like, for, like I always say this about movies. I like a fine steak and I like a Big Mac. And this comes to the fine steak yeah, portion of the film watching agenda. Is this something that I'd stick on in a Saturday night if I wanted to enjoy myself? No, because I think Paul Thomas Anderson's <laughs> movies, especially recently, have had a very pessimistic outlook on life. But that doesn't make them fine, not fine pieces of art, which this movie certainly is. It's excellently composed. The dialogue's fantastic. Daniel Day-Lewis, like I said, he gives you that. He gives you that shade, and then he gives you that bam in your face moments it's, it's, a, it's a really really good watch and if you haven't seen this one highly recommend going to check it out and hopefully we do another paul thomas anderson movie in the future but i'd like to thank my guest um marnie you haven't been able to figure out how to work your technical equipment today um but hopefully in the future we can get a, a youngster over there to help you out with that <laughs> thank you so much david i would i would really appreciate that yeah, we'll, we'll send help. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Can you put yourself back on mute now, please? Thank you very much. Oh. Uh, Grace, <laughs> Grace, thank you very much for coming on again today. Thanks for having me. <laughs> and Nick, you've been a phenomenal guest. Where can people find you? What are, what are you doing on, on the internet and everywhere? What's happening with yourself? Yeah, you can you can follow me on Twitter um, at Mick Marley, Mick underscore Marley. Um, and I, you can find some of the so my work at denofgeek.com. I recently reviewed the new Space Jam film as well as uh, the new season of Ted Lasso. Um, nice. So check those out. And then you can also find me in the movie trivia Schmodown. Uh, I have a match debuting here in about a half an hour. My yeah. first my first match in the in the movie trivia schmodown. But uh, this was super fun. Thanks for having me on, David and and Marnie and Grace. It was it was great to to chat with you guys. I know it was and, nice to meet you. And I know I'm rooting for Nick in that match. Going, it'll be out by the time this is released. It'll be out for a couple of days. We still won't spoil any results, but definitely go and check out Nick's match because um, God knows that he is a phenomenal competitor and titles are in his future in the movie trivia. Showdown. See, uh, David, yeah. I know you're a fan and you're a fan in private, but when you're when you're in the first class league, you you just have nothing but mean things to say about me <laughs> mean, like, don't start you start <laughs> um, but, <laughs> it's from me it's goodbye and from everyone else goodbye <laughs>